Hello, Edgy Gladiators. Marlena here, and I am just absolutely pumped about tonight's uh, interview with Monica Burns, the author of Formative Tech. Monica, say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for the invite to come on and, and chat tonight. Thanks, Monica. I'm so excited to dig into this subject and just to hear more about your new book and what all is in that. Uh, but before we do, I just want to welcome everybody again to our live podcast for Edu Gladiators. And also know that if you're watching right now, there's a live chat feature. And so any questions that you have for Monica, please drop those in the live chat throughout our time together tonight. I will refer back to that. So if you see my eyes kind of glancing to the side, mm -hmm. I am full of tech tonight. I have my laptop right here. I have my cell phone right here. I am ready for all of your questions so mm -hmm. I can ask those of Monica and we can have a great understanding and things that we can do tomorrow in regards to uh, assessment and using formative tech. So uh, drop all your questions in there, say hello, and let's get started. You ready, Monica? Yeah, let's do this. Awesome, awesome. So first, let's start off by letting the whole world know, Monica, exactly who you are, and tell us a little bit about your journey uh, in education. Yeah, so I'm a former New York City public school teacher, um, still in the area, moved to New Jersey uh, last year, coming up on the year mark. <laughs> um, but my last two years in the classroom were one-to-one -one iPad. So I started off with chalk, chalkboard, overhead projector. You know, by the end of my time in the classroom, was able to trade that in for a class set of iPads. Uh, we had some federal magnet funding. It worked out that we were able to try out what at the time was the beginning of one-to-one -one with tablets with iPads and that work was so exciting with my fifth graders that I had the chance to start talking and sharing uh, with different folks right here in New York um, what was happening in my classroom and that turned into the work that I do today. So after sharing some of my favorites at a couple events here in New York, people started asking for my blog and my Twitter handle, and I needed to give them an answer over <laughs> uh, to those questions. And so coming up at five years this month on classtechtips.com, which is my blog where I started sharing things every once in a while, to now sharing just about every day, lots of tips for teachers, lesson ideas, strategies, and of course sharing on Twitter and, and Pinterest and Facebook, um, all of my favorites. Awesome, awesome. And hey, Monica, where can they find you on, on Twitter? on Pinterest. I know your website is classtechtips.com. Yeah, yeah classtechtips.com. And everything else is at classtechtips. So facebook.com slash classtechtips and Twitter, you know, at classtechtips and same thing with my Pinterest boards. And so I've spent a lot of time uh, gathering favorites and I have a weekly newsletter that goes out to lots and lots of educators on Monday. So you can actually go to classtechtips.com, sign up to grab that. And now that I'm out of the classroom, I do a lot of professional development for schools, was in classrooms today, um, and I get a chance to travel around and speak to groups of educators about how to use technology uh, effectively and, and thoughtfully um, within classroom settings. That's awesome, Monica, that's awesome. You know, um, 
assessment, we hear a lot about that, you know, and many of our, our states right now are in, including here for us mm -hmm. in Tennessee, for me in Tennessee, um, we're in the middle of, of our testing season. But, you know, I'd love to just to hear what your definition is or for the purpose of having formative assessment. Yeah, so we're in the midst of it here in the Northeast in New York, you know, where I was today um, working with teachers. And those kind of state tests, right, those summative assessments serve a, a purpose, right? They give a lot of information to folks that make decisions about what's happening in schools and districts. Um, when it comes to formative assessment, you know, as a former classroom teacher, that was the data, the information that was most meaningful and actionable to me, right? When I'm checking for understanding over the course of a lesson, over a course of a series of lessons, I can find out then and now, <laughs> right in the moment, um, what's going on so I can make an instructional decision moving forward. So when I talk about formative assessment in the book and when I'm working with teachers or I'm talking about how to check for understanding before, during, and after a, a lesson or a set of lessons so that you can use information to make decisions about your next steps and the instruction that's going to come down the line. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. I love that. So you know, there are a lot of books about formative assessment, and I would love to know, like, what makes your book different from the other uh, other books out there with formative assessment? Yeah, so my book, you know, my first chapter is that formative assessment 101, right? Giving an overview, sharing some of the research. But then what I do in the next chapters, which is different than what you'll see in other books, is I really focus on how technology tools can elevate and, and energize those experiences, making it more meaningful, sustainable, and scalable. So meaningful really being the, you know, what matters? What am I looking for? What's my success criteria? And how is the technology tool going to give me those answers quickly <laughs> and efficiently in a way that I get a full picture. And yeah, that might be, oh, look, I can get answers to a multiple choice test quicker than running something through a Scantron machine, but it's so much more than that, right? Getting a fuller, deeper picture of what students um, know and, and are able to do, and then making sure that that's sustainable by setting up systems within your classroom so that formative assessments happening on a regular and consistent basis, whether that means you're giving timely, regular feedback to students and their work, whether you're giving lots of opportunities for students to capture their voice to explain their thinking, as opposed to choosing from four different answers on a Google form or multiple choice tests. And then of course, thinking about ways to make it scalable outside of the you know, four walls of one classroom and one corner of the building um, so that everyone is on board and, and supportive um, of that process. That's awesome. Hey, we have our first cue from the chat, uh, the live chat right now. So I would love to, to get your take on this. Yeah. So um, Paul, thanks Paul for this question. Paul asks, how do you deal with skeptical parents who believe that teachers aren't doing their jobs when they use technology for instruction. Gosh, well, you know, not only do I have a whole chapter in the book specifically on connecting with parents and sharing that information that you're collecting, but that question, I think, from a more general perspective, really comes down to making sure families have not just a voice to answer those questions, but have the space to interact 
and see what's happening within the classroom. Um, just like anything, I think it comes down to having communication um, with families, to having established clear goals, and really thinking about how to share those goals with families who might be skeptical because they haven't experienced that type of uh, learning themselves or with their other children who might be older before. So having an open dialogue, acknowledging and respecting their concerns because they come from a place of you know, love and, <laughs> and support for their children, of course, and really inviting them to be partners in the journey, whether that's having them spend a day in the classroom you know, sharing some things, you know, in a Google Hangout type of session for those who might not have a more flexible schedule and just being transparent um, after you acknowledge their, their feelings to really make sure that you're communicating what your goals are to them. Absolutely. Now, one of the things I really, really love about, uh, about your book that really excites me is that in your book, you actually have, and I think this is probably what made you so popular, definitely what got you on my radar, mm -hmm. you have practical tips that um, teachers, that leaders can use uh, in their classroom as a whole class, or if they want to do small group, or if they also want to do just individualizing that instruction even more. What are some practical tips as it pertains to formative tech that you talk a little bit about, maybe some of your favorite practical tips? I'm glad that you you noticed that and appreciated that part of the work because you know we've all sat in lots of different professional development sessions where we walk away and we're not sure what our I call it you know the now what <laughs> right we're right. not we're not sure what our next steps are and things don't always feel actionable and and you know sometimes that's because we're kind of working on a pathway and and looking at things from a higher level and maybe it'll you know trickle down at some point but my goal whether I'm doing professional development or having a conversation one-on-one -on -one coaching with teachers or with this book, right, is to make sure that everyone is walking away with their kind of this, you know, their this week, what am I going to do? And this month, what am I going to do? And maybe this year, what's my longer term goal? So I try and introduce not just the big concepts for when you're thinking about scaling this work, but also those try it tomorrow. You know, you're already doing this kind of lesson in a traditional classroom. What if we add this layer with a technology. So if you've been showing brain pop videos with your kids and they're really receptive to Tim and Moby, right? Well, maybe you're gonna open up now a back channel and not just support mm. some of the digital citizenship skills that are being taught in the media center third period. Now you're giving them a chance to apply it in a context by saying, let's everyone pause and put in a question that you have or a wondering that you have or one thing that caught your attention and you know you don't have to give multiple choice questions to get information by scrolling down that back channel you're realizing where the misconceptions are that you need to address you're noticing patterns of students who are ready to move towards a new goal or who need a little bit of support so you might pull that small group out you know at the same time you're creating an experience that's really relevant for kids and is actionable and it's something that just wouldn't be as effective if you handed everyone a post-it note and waited to the end of class to collect them right this is in the moment opportunities for you to shift your practice and that's something that you can pull up with a free tool you know some model a quick model and introduction to your kids and and layer that onto an existing practice you might have in your class so it was really important to me and it is important to me when I'm working with schools and with teachers to make sure 
you know, not only are we on the ground trying things out, you can bring into your classroom next week if it fits <laughs> with your right. goals, of course, but that, you know, you're able to read through a book and have some things that really connect to what's already happening, right? Formative assessment, that check for understanding as you observe the room, as you listen into conversations, right? That's the natural thing that's happening in most classrooms, but we can really elevate that and make sure it's as meaningful as possible when we're hearing every voice and technology tools give us a, a quicker window into everyone. Absolutely. Now, one thing you said that is something that I use quite often when I um, when I present, especially if it's to a large group in a in a PD session or in a conference session, um, you mentioned back channels. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Because when I say that term, people are like, what? What is that? Yeah. Yeah. So a back channel is a way to have a conversation take place that doesn't involve a leader or facilitator, if you will, right? So, you know, your students might be listening into, um, you know, a video clip. And then at the same time, just like you and I might sit down and watch Scandal or the Super Bowl and pull up on Twitter and say, what does everyone else think about this, right? Or did I miss something? Or, you know, they'd cut to commercial, like what just happened, right? So we're naturally doing that, right? We are pulling this up and are participating in conversations that are kind of outside, right, in the background, if you will. So a back channel can act the same way, where it's a place for kids to have a conversation or more formally, you know, you might set expectations that you're going to post your questions here in this back channel. Um, you're going to respond to a prompt in this open space um, that you can see what other people are thinking, but also, um, you know, be held accountable for your participation and teachers get a window into student thinking as well. I love that. And it creates like an ongoing kind of portfolio of what the questions are. Um, mm -hmm you know, that teachers can use to go back and share and or look at and talk amongst their other uh, colleagues as to, you know, with those checks for understandings and see maybe are there some trends of some areas that kids across the grade level um, might be struggling with. I love absolutely. that idea. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, you know, we really want to make sure things feel relevant too. So that's a kind of behavior that kids are aware of, right? Especially your older students might participate that naturally, right? As they're watching the season finale of something, right? So they understand um, that idea of of conversations happening in non-traditional ways. And we can really leverage that um, and, and set kids up for success outside of the classroom by mirroring those experiences. I love that. I love, love, love that. And you know, you said something that uh, I never really thought of it as a back channel, even though um, I've probably suggested it or used it as such. But when you mentioned about using Twitter, like when we we're watching, uh, for those of you that, are, yeah. that don't know, Monica and I love Scandal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and using Twitter as a back channel. And, you know, how could we do that in our classrooms? Like, how could we use Twitter? Because a lot of teachers have Twitter accounts. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk a little bit, bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll probably see it more naturally, like in higher ed spaces where there's a hashtag with the course code, right? And sometimes there's an expectation involved that there's posting taking place, um, you know, throughout a lecture um, in a more traditional format, um, you know, at a higher ed level. But we can model those 
behaviors or those interactions. And, you know, I had a was having a couple conversations, I actually did a post on my site about doing um, back channels during a read aloud. And this idea mm. that you might have, um, you know, you'll turn those pages, but then you'll pause, right? And the kids will turn and talk to their neighbor and then they'll respond in that space and you can hear everyone's turn and talk, <laughs> right? Um, when you see it pop up on the screen, you can make some decisions and, and that too. But, you know, as you start that process very simply, you can layer on things like hashtag question or hashtag character trait or hashtag setting, right? And your kids now are categorizing, you know, their contributions. So when you throw out something and you say, you know, what's one thing that surprised you today from, you know, the short passage we examined together, right? Your kids might categorize that they were surprised about the problem that popped up or the way the character interacted and and all of those things um, you know of course it depends on what your learning goals are how you would frame those kind of conversations and I think you can do some really exciting things in these non-traditional spaces that reinforce the expectations that might have always been on a curriculum map and haven't changed much in the past decade I love that okay we have another question we have a great little chat going on in our live feed great. so Again, for those of you that are watching uh, live right now, please post your questions for Monica in the live chat feature. And if you're watching the recording of this, then definitely when you open this up, open up the live chat and you'll still be able to see um, our back channel, uh, yeah. what's mm -hmm. going on right now as we continue to discuss formative tech with Monica Burns. So Monica, our next question is, um, District leaders often talk about going paperless. Do you believe this is realistic and which specific tools do you recommend using to achieve this goal? And I'll just add, especially as it pertains to assessment. I think you need to, you know, if paperless is your goal, I'm not sure it's being framed appropriately, right? Like it, there should be another step before that. There should be a goal that you see paperless meeting, if that makes sense, right? Yes. So if you're going paperless because you have an environmental stewardship initiative at your school and you're trying to reduce the consumption of paper, you know, I can see an argument there. If you're looking to increase your workflow and have that a simpler online space so everyone can access things um, easily um, and and with efficiency, okay, I can I can see that. Um, but I want to be careful anytime we're talking about technology integration to really emphasize a need for a balance, right? You might have your first grade students drawing geometric shapes, um, coloring them in, cutting them out, but then snapping a picture with their iPad and uploading it to Seesaw with a recording of their voice explaining how they know that this is a hexagon and not a rectangle. And so finding that balance um, comes down, you know, I, I would hate to think that we're all all are one on either side of that, right? Just like we would hope that there would be not be a situation where there's no technology, right? We also want to make sure that we're honoring those kind of experiences that are beneficial for students and then bringing in the technology when we can elevate that practice as well. Um, so finding a balance with students I think is key and coming down to your why of why we're going paperless or why we're using that terminology um, is really important to kind of do that, that pulse check of the decisions that are being made to get to a particular space. That's awesome. You know, 
I swear you were a fly on the wall in one of my conversations uh, late last week as I was visiting uh, schools and I stopped by an elementary school and one of my elementary uh, mentors, she's a guru, I just love her. She taught me everything I know about elementary ed because I'm a secondary person. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that she talked about in our particular district, uh, we have a strong push for you know, digital learning and digital innovation. Mm -hmm. And we're having just an influx of tech in our classrooms, which mm -hmm. I think is a great thing in our district. Mm -hmm. However, she is a lower elementary person. And so she and I were chatting and she said that, you know, we have, to, like you said, we have to have a balance because mm -hmm. in her words, those babies need mm -hmm. to work on their fine motor skills. So they need to cut, yep. they need to pace, they need to do, those hands-on things to work on their fine motor skills so we can't replace all of that mm -hmm. with just a computer oh yeah right and it comes down to what are your goals and that right there that's a goal that she has that she's identified right that's research based right, it she, is. right that she knows her students need in order to be successful and it's it would be silly, right to to ask anyone to abandon something that is so important for the sake of, of handing a child an iPad, right? But what we can do with that technology is we can listen to all the voices of our students when they make that 30-second recording on Seesaw or give the 45-second recap of the favorite book that they read with their partner um, while they are using a, you know, a tool like Recap That or something. So there's ways that the technology can come in and do things that we just couldn't before, but we don't want to use it to replace any of the things that we know students are going to need in order to be successful humans of, of any age. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I just love that when you said that, that just sparked, you know, just the conversation I had just last week. And I'm in total agreement, total agreement with that. Um, so, so this brings me to another question, because again, and I'll use my district as an example mm -hmm. there, you know, we are, we are um, investing so much into our teachers, training them for project-based learning and transforming that because this district has not taken to technology and project-based learning prior uh, you know, in the years past. So it's such an exciting time to be there. And so the teachers, you know, we've identified project-based learning uh, coaches, like in-house experts of that. But how do we assess that? Because if we're doing all these cool PBL uh, mm -hmm. types of projects or inquiry-based projects or doing the five E's as we're addressing our, our, our curriculum design, well, we certainly can't address that on a standardized test. So yeah. how do we address that? I think sometimes when we think about the term assessment, we get so caught up in the numbers, right? And and that's really where the block comes when we talk about long-term learning experiences, projects, PBL, right? So, you know, I can't give everyone a test and see who had a 75, an 85, or a 95, right? And even if I did, right, what is that really telling me in terms of information that is actionable? So when it comes to those long-term um, experiences that students are having, that's where things like, um, you know, checking in on students' share documents and leaving timely feedback um, that they can act on and work through is going to give you information and then give you something that you can act on to support students, right? 
you're still scaffolding that process for them, whether you're peeking in on some of their planning pages on a general kind of graphic organizer or project proposal you've asked everyone to submit, and then you're making decisions on how you're going to support students along the process. And doing those kind of screencast or confessionals or however you might think of it, right? Sure. Where And I, I love, I said, I know I mentioned recap that earlier and I'm just a really big fan of, of recap and the ability for kids to open up their Chromebook or their iOS device and look into a camera and say, this is what I accomplished today. This is what I need some help with today. And you know, in those 15 seconds, you're going to get information that you can act on. And that's really what assessment data is. It's information <laughs> that you can use to make some decisions. It doesn't have to be a number or a scale um, the way we traditionally think about bubbling in you know a grade on our report card absolutely absolutely we have another question mm -hmm. um, we have Paul you're just on fire you and Brooke I just love this conversation you guys are having in the live uh, chat again if you are watching live right now please type in your questions in the live chat feature and I'll ask those of Monica and get her her uh, take on those questions. And if you're watching the recording of this podcast, then make sure that you open up the live feature so you can see what great questions are being asked and you'll know what to kind of mm -hmm. listen for as well as you're watching the replay. So one of the questions is, uh, and I'll, I'll go back up a little bit, is uh, having one of the, and Brooke asked this as well, or talked about this as well in the live chat. One of the greatest barriers and technology is actually signing on. Mm -hmm. So going to a single sign-on, whether it's Canvas or Schoology or Google Classroom, how can that ease or assist the formative tech piece by having that single sign-on in yeah. a district? I mean, it's been interesting to see just how many tools are now Google sign-on ready, right? <laughs> so you have your kids set up in Google Classroom. I was in a school today that's one-to-one -one iPads in their middle school, and, and their kids are on Google Classroom on iPads, right? Just because it, it made the most sense for what their goals are in terms of workflow and, and that. So yes, I mean, having a single sign-on and using a tool that has discussion threads um, that lets you link out to other types of curated content that you've handpicked for students that lets kids submit or link to share documents that you can peek into um, leave comments on and students can leave feedback on as well um, definitely makes that process easier um, there's a lot of tools that don't require a, a sign-on you know in a traditional way like nearpod where mm -hmm. you can give the pin out to everyone and have embedded formative assessment in a lesson that might feel like direct instruction until you tell everyone to turn and talk about something or you push that video out and, and you know a group of students are leaning over together so I would say taking stock of the technology your kids already have easy access to is important especially when you're trying something new and managing a classroom and making sure things work <laughs> as you're introducing them to your class but then taking stock as well of what type of tools um, would be an easy transition because you could post that nearpod link in that you know Google Classroom announcement that you've pushed out to everyone and they can join into another experience where there's embedded formative assessment as well. Awesome. I know my teachers at the last school I was in that I was principal of, they loved Edmodo. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, all of these, and, and please know those of you who are listening, we're not advocating one over the other, mm-hmm. just what our <laughs> personal favorites are. So there's no kickback from the names. Yeah. <laughs> we're about kids and what works. So we're just sharing what our favorites or what's worked for us. But, um, you know, at Edmodo, with my teachers, what, they, what was the best part of it? Of course, they had, it was secure. They could mm-hmm. uh, have those back channels like you talked about, Monica. Um, they could assess different things in that space in a format that was very comfortable for our students at the middle school level. But what was so great about Edmodo in particular, and I think Brooke mentioned that Schoology is like this too, is that it had a parent log on piece. Mm -hmm. So the parents could learn about what their kids were doing. And also, I guess, uh, not necessarily vicariously, but they could log in and kind of get a glimpse of what their students were experiencing uh, and not just look at not just logging in to see what their grade was. Yeah. And it's great that you mentioned that because there's a story I share in the book by an awesome Apple Distinguished educator, Larry Reef, who's out on Long Island. And he um, talks about that parent connection in my chapter on on parent engagement as well, or, or parent um, transparency and, and making sure families understand what the what's going on in classrooms from a formative assessment perspective. And so Larry shares how when he has um, a courses, a course for his students in iTunes U, he can invite parents into that course and they can see all the content that their students are exploring. So it's not the, what did you do today conversation, <laughs> you know, at, at dinner or, you know, on the way to field hockey practice. It's the, oh, I noticed that you guys were doing this in English today. Tell me more about that. And it can just be something where, you know, the buy-in from a community perspective is different. Um, When you do know what's happening in the classroom, you can ask the right questions and you can support your kids, you know, the best way possible. And that's so important to me, right? Thinking about how the technology can change the way you communicate um, with families. It's something that was just starting to kind of rev up in terms of possibilities when I was a classroom teacher. And when I left the classroom to do this work, I also started doing some work with a nonprofit organization here in New York where we were using iPads to um, facilitate storytelling and, and family time after school. It became you know, my doctoral work as well. And with those families, we were able to explore, right, what does SMS messaging look like? How could Remind be used to keep people in contact, to push out tips and, and great things for them to think about? And the same thing can happen because you have families connected to an LMS or because you're taking the agency to share updates um, using digital tools to get into the pockets <laughs> of people who sure. are are concerned and, and thinking about what their children are doing in school every day. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, Monica, it seems like you have amassed this amazing, amazing wealth of knowledge, and and I love that you've written a book about it to share share with everyone as we continue to learn and grow about formative assessment about using tech to help ease that process. If you could talk to yourself when you were at the beginning of your journey, jumping Mm -hmm. into education, what are some practical class tech tips (laughs) or -hmm. advice that you would give yourself just starting out? I think when it comes to formative assessment, you know, one thing that for me was always a struggle when it was post-its and highlighters and clipboards in my classroom, um, was really thinking about systems and structures for organization. And I think that there were times early on where, you know, I felt like the 
organization and keeping track of that information had to look one way, right? And, and wasn't ready to accept that it might evolve over the course of the year, that things might change in terms of, you know, doing a better job of, of keeping that information organized, because if it's organized, then you can analyze and act on it, right? Um, right. If you have it, things in all different places, you might not be able to keep track. And, you know, when I started um, co-teaching a couple years into my career, and that was, you know, at the time that iPads came into my classroom, something like Google Forms completely transformed that experience because my co-teacher and I could share the Google Form <laughs> and have all of our information in one place. And so I think looking back, um, making sure that, you know, you're flexible with your organization and making sure it works for you and your kids um, is something that I wish I had embraced earlier on. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I have, you know, such a great chat going here in the live chat and, and a lot of folks that are that are joining in right now watching live. And I know mm -hmm. there'll be so many that will watch the replay or share this live version to hear these amazing tips directly from you. Mm -hmm. What if some of these folks want to see you? Can you share some of your upcoming events that maybe they might be able to connect with you? Yeah, so it's been a, a busy first half of the year so far, only getting a little bit busier. Just on my site today, actually, I just did a post um, about the Tomorrow's Classrooms Today conference, which will be in, um, in New Jersey on the 20th of May. So staying a little local for that, but if you're in the tri-state area, it's totally worth checking out. I was there uh, last year, and it was a great event, so excited to present and do some book signings there this year. And then once June starts, once you get past Memorial Day, I'll be in Austin presenting for I Padpalooza. I'll be in Houston for Texas ASCD, um, their Ignite uh, 17 conference the following week. Then I'm headed to EdTechX Europe. So if you're in London, <laughs> you know, tweet at, tweet at me because I'll be speaking in London for that event. And as soon as I get back, I've got a quick, I think, 36-hour turnaround. I'll be headed to San Antonio for my third trip to Texas in the month of June uh, for ISTE. And then after that, there'll be some um, regional district events um, in South Carolina, doing an institute at ILA in June. And then I'll do um, iPad Palooza OU um, in Oklahoma at the end of the summer and plenty of school visits in the middle. <laughs> you are a busy, busy lady. And uh, hey, I love going to Texas. I, I travel there quite a bit. And yeah. Austin mm -hmm. is definitely a favorite. So um, I'll tell you where to, where to go eat. Oh yeah. In mm -hmm. there. I love Austin. Mm -hmm. um, also too, you will be actually leading the edgy gladiators chat this summer too. We want to make you even busier, right? Yeah, you got it. So for those of you that follow on our weekly chat on Saturdays at 1030 AM central standard time, 1130 AM Eastern standard time, Monica will be back twice this summer, which I'm super, super excited about uh, on June 10th. She will lead uh, the chat for that Saturday, and it's about, you guessed it, formative tech, and we'll be talking about um, assessment and diving deeper into that and how we can make that, as Monica says, more meaningful and relevant and really use it to drive our instruction. And then on July 8th, she is back with, I think, what started it all, Monica, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Class Tech Tips. She'll be back and leading the chat uh, on July 8th for class tech tips. And, you know, let me tell you, if you haven't picked up this book, you need to pick up this book. You can go to Amazon. It's available on Kindle as well. If you just can't wait, because when you read it, when you open up and read the first chapter, these are things that you can do tomorrow to help 
transform and guide you in this whole assessment piece. How else can they uh, get in touch or order your book, Monica? Yeah, so it's up on Amazon. You can direct um, order it direct from there or even from my publisher, Corwin. And then, of course, you know, I send out, I just went out today, 3 o'clock every Monday, <laughs> my newsletter with lots of new favorites and, and special things going on. And you can grab that by heading to classtechtips.com backslash sign up. And when you sign up, I've got all sorts of goodies and fun stuff. And then you'll get that Monday newsletter with, with lots of things to think about <laughs> over the next few months as you <laughs> get ready for the next school year. I love it. I love it, Monica. Hey, um, before we close up tonight, I have to ask this question because it's become a favorite for everyone that we have on Edge of Gladiators. I'd love to know, who is your favorite superhero and why? Um, I think, well, my, it has to be Superman. I grew up in a family, um, where we would sit around and, and watch with my dad. <laughs> I've got lots of little kid pictures of me in Superman pajamas that are still, you know, up in, up in the family house. And so that's gotta be my go-to, my favorite one. I love that. I love that. Hey, Monica, thank you again for joining us tonight and for sharing about your new book, Formative Tech, and all of these amazing practical tips to uh, get us going and finishing the year strong. And also, thanks for us to really reflect and think about this summer so we can start the new school year off uh, right. Thank you so much for coming tonight and being on our live podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.